Hey, Kansas City. Welcome to episode 21 of the Made in Casey podcast. We are now in day 21 of the 30-day stay-at-home order. I'm Tyler Enders. I'm Keith Bradley. And I'm Thomas McIntyre. Today, we'll be talking about late-stage shelter-at-home socializing. What is that, you might ask? Stick around to find out. Hey guys, happy Monday. Hello. Happy Monday. Keith, you sent us a text yesterday, or maybe it was Saturday, asking if we'd sign up for a vaccine trial. What's that about? Uh, mostly just kind of getting you guys' feedback on it because I trust your all's opinion on, on a lot of things. Uh, but I recently have two friends who have signed up for a COVID-19 vaccine trial here in Kansas City, and it kind of piqued my interest for two reasons. One, to further kind of play my part in in helping this pandemic in whatever way I can. Well, helping fight the pandemic, I should clarify. And then two, um, I believe there's a financial component to, to it as well. Gotcha. And so is this anyone who wants to sign up, goes online, fills out a form, and, and signs up? You've got to call the Kansas City Center for Pharmaceutical Research. Um, that's the study that I called and the only one I know about going on right now in our region. I'm sure there's multiple they are starting their first of what will be three vaccine trials and still taking applicants for the first one. And then I don't know anything about how this works. Will they then test later by exposing you to coronavirus or will they just track you for months and see if you get sick? That's a good question. I'm going to get a follow-up call in the next couple of days that will hopefully answer all of my questions just about how the trial actually works. They inject you with a manufactured fake virus that is designed to look like the spiky coronavirus, but it's not actually the coronavirus. So in some, in sometimes, in some cases when you get a vaccine, they actually inject you with a small amount of that actual virus. So you build up antibodies quicker and a healthy response to it. For this trial, this is not that. They're trying to see if they can, I guess, to replicate the body's response to the virus by giving it a fake virus. Gotcha. Another embarrassing question that my parents and family who's all in the medical world would probably cringe at, but when they do vaccine trials, do you guys know, is there an equal body of people who receive a placebo or for when you're doing a vaccine test, you don't need one? I just had that thought earlier today after I got off the phone with the pharmaceutical research company, because based on my little knowledge of, of science or going back to high school and college, Every trial, right? There's always a placebo no matter what you're doing. There's always that test. And so if you think you're getting injected with some sort of virus or something that's supposed to, you know, make your body respond like you have a virus, you're more likely to re respond that just from the, you know, the mental side effects of it. So I'm guessing they would have to give at least a small control group. So if I do this trial, that's the group I'm, I'm hoping I'd be in, even though I wouldn't know it. Yeah. But I figured there's a 50 50 shot, right? <laughs> then there's like some kind of layered placebo effect going on that you're, hoping you are the placebo so you act as if you are the yeah i don't know it's definitely past my mind's ability to uh, navigate definitely a topic for probably not even this podcast but i know tyler you you're big into meditation and you've talked about your cold shower experience and help you cope with stress and i've started to do more research uh, with my back pain about meditation and how that can be used to fight pain and it's fascinating for one but also I found it profoundly uh, actually helpful um, in helping reduce the back pain I felt over the last couple of weeks and kind of the stress of being at home. So and that's, it's all, yeah, all interesting. That's fantastic. Two, two thoughts from my end on there. I don't think I ever gave the update on the podcast. I did do an ice shower 
and it was extremely hard. Three minutes was an eternity, uh, but it was it was good. It definitely had all the benefits that I, Tyler talked about and that I was hoping for, but I was also had built it up a lot because I thought about doing it several times and hadn't done it. And so now that I was finally doing it, I was really had high expectations of the result. And I think I was also overanalyzing what was happening to my body, which took away from the mental relaxation component. But that being said, I think a second one would do a lot of good for me. So I'll probably do that soon. But it was very refreshing and very good. And I have received lots of texts from people saying they've tried it and only made it like 30 seconds or that they tried it and made it the full three minutes and were blown away by it. So I'd love to have more people trying it. I'm going to do it a second time soon. And then one other note, Keith, your back pain. I tweaked my lower back on Friday morning and have been in a lot of pain ever since. And usually I've never had any back pain in my life. And so a small glimpse into what I think is unfortunately kind of your normal and it's terrible. So I, I feel for you. Get ready for an onslaught of, of text and articles I'm going to send you. <laughs> I'm ready. For those who are not familiar with the cold shower that we're talking about, check out episode four. We talked about it a little bit more, but I do think you have to do the full three minutes to really get the somatic effect that you're supposed to get. Anyway, going back to the vaccines, I was reading an article talking about how when people are able to get back into the workforce, that if we have 20 or 30 million people who have already contracted coronavirus, their body successfully fought it, hopefully they have a pretty good immunity, those people will get some sort of immunity passport. And that workforce is going to be really, really valuable. We're going to want them out there working. They can interface with people with a lower risk to themselves. Of course, they could still spread things to other people. But this article was talking about uh, those people, that immunity passport is going to be really, really valuable. And so people who are on these early vaccine trials will also have that immunity passport if it's a successful trial. And all of a sudden, your stock as a workforce employee goes up a ton because you can do a lot of things that other people can't do. Here's hoping. So if it works and if you find out that the vaccine worked, would you then be willing to get that QR code on your phone so that way you can walk around and be traced and be able to show it to people if they stop you that you can say, yes, I'm allowed to be out and about because I'm vaccinated? I don't think I'd have a problem with that, actually. I think I would be fine with that. I'm trying to think through real quickly some of the positive and negatives. I've never been one too concerned about privacy, public knowledge, and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. And so I think I would be, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I could, I could, there's some downsides for sure. If you go down the rabbit hole of other things you could get cards for and, you know, discrimination and whatnot. But I think initially, if it helps the recovery in some way, shape or form, I'd be okay with that. I also have not, uh, and it's not for lack of thinking about it or processing what it means, but I've, I've not had a whole lot of fear or concern about privacy or data. I, I have concerns about it. But in the in this realm, it doesn't concern me um, in terms of the health impl- implications. And there's other things. I mean, just having your cell phone on you uh, has these privacy implications. That I don't think this would uh, severely impact or change for me. And so I would be wide open to it. Yeah, some of what I've read has said that this is really going to blow the doors open on concerns about privacy in that people are going to realize, okay, we need to embrace technology in a lot of these situations the idea being that privacy proponents are going to lose a lot of ground. And with Apple and Google really pushing the initiative right now, I think it'll engender some public support, 
because it's not just the government doing it. And it's these two other companies that already have so much of our data. And my good friend Marek described it to me as this is the same technology that Google Traffic uses. And it's basically like the Tile app, if anyone's familiar with the Tile app, where you can put it in your wallet. So that way, if you lose your wallet, you can figure out where it is. So it's a combination of these types of very common technologies where that way, if you run into someone that later finds out they're sick, then they can contact Trace back way faster than human memory can and way more accurately than human memory can. And this is the hard part. Confidentially let those people know, hey, you were in contact with someone on this date. So you need to now contact Trace from this date, except the phone would do it for you. So, I mean, I think it's it's encouraging, and I think that it's probably part of the solution for us being let back out into public, along with people like Keith getting these vaccines. All right, guys, we've officially gone off topic with a tangent, and I still don't know what Tyler meant by late-stage shelter-at-home socializing. So can we please get back to that, please? Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't a tangent. Let me bring this all together for you. Beautiful. So I was thinking that, you know, when we first started, we talked about our walks and how you should call people and all the things we should do to try to stay connected. I think we all practice what we preach to a degree, but now we're 21 day veterans at this. And some people are even more than 21 day veterans. So I feel like we've refined our processes. And so I kind of wanted to revisit anything cool that you guys have done. It was, it was mainly inspired by your guys' uh, Easter parade driving by your parents house because that's a really good way to socialize and then when keith texted about this vaccine i started thinking about okay once people can get back out there and you can have this qr code that allows you to show that you're immune you know how will socializing change so that's my really weak tie back into it but i wanted to go through and hear if there were any other fun things that you guys are doing or it doesn't have to be fun but now that we're 21 days into this are there habits that you guys have found that are easier for you to stick to and that have worked better than others? I will start us off on somewhat of a negative note. I'm actually growing very tired of distant and technology-based meetings and conversations. I largely due to my own problem and our internet's not super great at our house, which I have since taken action and will have Google Fiber installed soon, but technical difficulties, uh, computer getting set up, getting timing right, other people getting delayed. I just don't really enjoy it. That being said, every time I get off of a fun social interaction with my family or friends, I without a doubt feel better and have a positive attitude because I interact with people. So, uh, that being said, no, nothing, nothing new or, or different. I think the Zoom conversations have been the most thorough at allowing a group to interact and hang out. I mean, we scheduled one with a group of friends that was supposed to just last like 30 minutes to say how things are going. And it went two and a half hours because people could check out and they were hanging out with their kids and two people had a conversation. And so it really did serve nicely as like a group hangout where not everybody had to be interacting the whole time. So that's been fun. And I see us doing more of those, but no, no new hacks or tricks for me or on anything. I've been really surprised by how, as you know, Thomas, the, I guess, the side effects of interacting with people via, via Zoom and video chat and all that stuff, how they have been, um, positive for me as well. I thought there would be uh, no substitute for physical, like, you know, face to face interaction. And I, I think obviously long term, there's still questions about that. But in the short term, 
I've been pleasantly surprised that I've felt it as an adequate substitute to um, be encouraged to learn more about other people who experience that quality uh, social socializing that we all need um, through video. I was just not expecting that. I was expecting to be disappointed or always leaving a conversation, you know, feeling a little down or, or extremely, you know, negative or missing someone or something. But I've been surprised at how positive they've been. One of the commonalities that I've found, especially with larger Zooms or FaceTimes or group chats or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is, is all of them, when they're large, have gone way over the intended duration. And I think that to me, that has been a signal that people really are still yearning for that and that it's obviously beneficial because in the situations that I'm thinking of, people didn't need an excuse to say, hey, guys, I'm heading out. It's been two hours. And they could have done it at two and a half hours. They could have done it at three hours. But people stayed logged in just because it was fun. Yeah, and we recently at Made in KC started implementing um, Wednesday afternoon, Friday afternoon kind of team happy hours. And so that's been really cool to have um, team members check in on those um, during those times, which has added some good structure to the week. Um, and I know I know it's been great for me, and I think it's been the same for you guys as well, just to see those faces and, and check in with people. The other part I like about it is anytime there's a text group about scheduling a meeting, unlike physically interacting back when the world was normal, there's very few conflicts. And so it's much more efficient in terms of like the seven work tonight. And the vast majority of people are like, yeah, we have nothing going on. And it's, so it's, it's been quick to be able to do one. And it's in, in our friends group in particular, the whole group getting together is very challenging and it's always a massive amount of texts and people changing it. And then it happens eventually, maybe once a quarter. The fact that we able to knock a couple of these out since we've been in quarantine is impressive. And I think it is kind of nice that there's less conflicts going on. So I have three things that I'll note that I don't know if they're habits or tricks or tips, but three things that I've done that have worked for me that I've enjoyed. One is that in the past 24, 48 hours, I just went ahead and scheduled a lot of conversations with people. Some of these people had texted me earlier in the week. I've been dragging my feet on getting back to them. Some of them I proactively reached out to. Some of them just circumstantially happened to fit within that 24, 48 hours. But I got in front of my calendar. I'm a, I'm a paper calendar person or a schedule person. So I got in front of my calendar, wrote them all out, scheduled them all, and I feel really excited that I know I have all these doses of personal interaction to help break up my day. The second one was that I got a group together to talk about podcast ideas, and these were friends of mine, most of whom I went to college with. It was a Saturday evening. We all got something to drink, and we just talked about all these different theories that we had. We kind of let it run wild, and we let it go really extreme down these paths, and that was a fun way to structure it in that I, I told each of these friends, hey, you have really cool ideas. I just want to hear what your thoughts are on how you're experiencing your life. We started out by asking some really general questions that everyone could relate to, like just updating each other on how much they're working, if they're seeing people wearing masks, what it feels like in the environments in which they live. And then we just started going off all these random tangents and ideas. And that was a really fun structure to talk to a group of people that I haven't brought together physically ever before. And then the third one, my girlfriend Kim is hosting a wine tasting happy hour this Saturday. And she actually has our business partner, Adam Pfeiffer, who's going to help lead it because he's studying to become a psalm. So she sent out four different rosés, four different types of rosé, so you could go get whatever's accessible to you, whether you're ordering it, whether you're going out to a store to get it. 
Um, it just breaks down into very general classes of rosé. And so it was a fun way for her to get people together, have Adam share some of his knowledge and structure it a little bit in a way that we'll, we'll start with some structure and then he'll leave the chat at some point and then it'll just devolve into a normal happy hour. But it's fun because there's that extra reason for people to get together. There adds a little bit of structure to it. And I think that that's a good example of how creative people can get in ways that they connect. I agree. I think, I think one part I've really liked about the meetings over a uh, computer and zoom is having people in their home and their own environment. I think it adds a level of personality or individualization to what's going on. So it's fun to see people and like do a quick tour of the kitchen or things like that. Things that definitely could not be happening in everybody being in the same physical space. Uh, we have friends in Columbia that recently got a new house and most people haven't seen it. So we're able to like, I'll take a virtual tour, which we wouldn't have scheduled otherwise. So there are, there are some fun components of the everyone in their own space. Uh, even though it's, it's probably less than ideal. I did something similar to Tyler early on with scheduling out some things. Um, kind of during that first week that felt really dark and heavy for a lot of us. I was trying to be a little proactive on the mental health side and ask two friends specifically, hey, would you call me every Sunday night? Would you call me every Thursday night um, to check in and just see how see how I'm doing? I was I was very admittedly selfish in it. Um, that's since turned into a more symbiotic relationship and checking back in with, with them as well. But that is something that I don't regret doing and very glad I did early on. And then similarly, we have a large group of uh, seven couples who've been getting together every week for the last 11 years now. And so we were going to let this stop that. And so Sunday nights, um, we all get together on Zoom, all the couples, and then we break it up throughout the week where the guys get together and the girls get together on a separate call. And so that's been really good and provided a sense of normalcy um, and checking in with those those friends as well. And sort of like what Thomas said, very hard to get that group together, but no no problems whatsoever uh, during this time. <laughs> that's impressive. That sounds like a pretty full social calendar, and I'm I'm both uh, I admire it and I'm envious of it. Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the social aspect of this has been really hard on the Bradleys. We love having people over. Uh, we love seeing playing host and, and seeing people as often as we can. Um, and so this has helped a little bit with that. That's cool, too, that you reached out and said, hey, please call me and check in on me. That makes me think about when Anthony Bourdain passed. One of the things that I saw that I really liked was just a I think it was a, a photo or a graphic that said, check on your strongest friends. And I like when you reach out to people and say, hey, check in on me, because it gives them um an extra sense of purpose and responsibility too, that I think is also really healthy. Like I like when people rely on me. I like when they say, Hey, um, you know, I need your support or I need your help. Or can you do me this favor? It feels good to do that for other people. So likewise, it's nice to recognize when other people can have that opportunity to return it. On kind of a flip side of the interacting socially with people that you aren't supposed to be right now. It's it's been very unique, and I think people have really interesting stories about how it's been impacting their home life and people that they are physically interacting with. And I think for Jess and I, it's been really good. I mean, we are getting along great. She's definitely very thankful that I'm home right now, and you know, she's commented on it a few times. Uh, and I think there's you know equal opportunity for couples to have the opposite happen and have a negative sense of being in each other's space and really get work done, not having any separation of home and work and everything else. And so it's, it's concerning how many people might be in a bad spot with it, but it's also 
exciting that I'm, I'm hoping that there's some relationships being strengthened and rekindled by spending all this time together and sharing this uh, physical space with one another when you don't share it with anybody else right now. You're making me choke up a little bit. That was, that was well said. Oh, thank you. As a one fun thing we've experimented with is um, playing video games online with other friends. Never, never would have thought that would have been part of our, our household, um, kind of the online gaming thing. But with the miracle of the Nintendo Switch, you can play a game like Mario Kart with friends from across the state or across the world. And so that's been a fun thing for my kids to play with other friends who they miss, miss seeing during this time as well. Keith, do Nintendo 64 Mario Kart skills translate well to Nintendo Switch Mario Kart skills? That's a good question. Um, I am terrible at all things Nintendo Switch, although I would have considered myself pretty pretty good at all things in 64. Yeah. Um, so the short answer is no. <laughs> That's too bad. I'm not into it then. I'm out. So we just need to find a plug-in that allows you to use N64 skills that translate then into a Switch game. It's got to exist. It's got to. All right. I've got one other question regarded to late-stage shelter-at-home socializing. All right, so in Kansas City, we're 21 days in. I was talking to my cousin who has been sheltering at home for, I think, longer than we have, and she is now going to her sister's where she can help with her sister and her brother-in-law's two children. And she said, you know, I've been isolating for a couple weeks. They've been isolating for a couple weeks. We feel really good about it. And I was super excited for her because now they get to both spend time together in a way that's probably very mutually beneficial. Have you guys thought of anything like that? I was thinking about how many people might have been quarantined by themselves for long enough now that they feel like, okay, I know I'm definitely not sick. I know this other person isn't sick. Now we can spend time together. The asymptomatic component of the coronavirus or COVID-19 is causing me to be very wary of that thought process. And I need to do more research on it or probably talk to more medical professionals about it. But my biggest concern of doing any next step interaction, even though I've been at home for over two weeks and have had no symptoms, is that I go to the grocery store for our family. And, you know, I've done research on how long the virus can live on cardboards, plastics, things like that. And I bring them into the home. And admittedly, we have not been on a timeline that allows me to do the grocery stay in the fridge or garage for two weeks and then get brought in. We do as best we can to sanitize. But outside of that, I've not taken any additional steps. And I feel like there is definitely a chance that Tucker, myself, Jess, anybody could uh, then take in the virus and be asymptomatic and not know it and then go interact with the other cousins and then they interact with my parents and this this chain that uh, admittedly is maybe too heightened sense of a fear about, but I, I'm I'm not at the point where I feel really good about breaking out into interacting with people even if we feel safe about it. No, I I think that's great. I don't I mean, I was too excited about the idea that, you know, I've been home and I've been staying safe and I haven't been to a grocery store recently, but you're totally right. It only takes that one circumstantial occurrence where then you become an asymptomatic carrier and it really could fall apart that quickly. Especially thinking about if lots of lots of people in the population decide to just barely loosen up their steps and the amount of changes that could cause in what we've built in the social distancing so far and, you know, just the idea of compounding interest and compounding those interactions, in my mind it could just get it could be a very slippery slope. Now 
I'm also at the point where I'm feeling very much needing to get out and have Tucker interact with their kids and do other things. And so I'm going to be exploring different safe ways to do it um, and agreeing with people about who you're going to interact with after that interaction and so on and so forth. I don't have my answers yet, but it's it's weighing on me for sure. It's it's not easy right now. I think those are all great points. At some point, as restrictions get lifted and, and social distancing practices get, get more loose, I think we're still going to have to have those kind of conversations or practices in place of like, hey, have you been sick? Have, what's your temperature? Things like that. Because we'll never know for a long time until a vaccine's out that the virus is completely gone. And so I think it is good to start thinking through what would it look like to start these minimal interactions because at some point that's going to have to happen and the conversations will start with those. And I know the asymptomatic thing is is really problematic um, with my wife now going to work three days a week. They check her temperature three times a day each day that she's there, which I think is great. I don't know if you know, what fully asymptomatic means if it's absolutely no fever, no symptoms, mild symptoms or whatnot. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And the only other person who's been into our house since this all started is my own, my own mother. And she lives primarily by herself, but also has been actively checking temperatures and, and symptoms and always checking in before she comes over. So those are some small precautionary measures that we've been um, kind of, kind of toying around with. Let me ask you guys this. As we are starting to feel a new norm, I think the my fear has been settling, which is is good from a lot of standpoints. But also, I think I burned through an entire bottle of Purell in a day in the very beginning of this, even at my own home, uh, of interacting with something in the garage, coming back inside, and just being like hypersensitive about it. That's changed for me, and I'm I'm, I'm not glad that it has, but it's definitely I've calmed down a little bit. I've not you know had a whole lot of interaction or known anybody directly that's been sick. Uh, or at least severely impacted by it. And so I think my natural state of cleanliness is coming back, which is a good state of cleanliness, but not a, a bottle a day of PRL type of cleanliness. And so that concerns me as well, as I think that I'm not alone in that probably, and that as we not only loosen up what we're doing socially with interacting, even if we feel pretty safe about it, we're loosening up individually what we're doing with sanitation, and those could multiply. Well, I would conjecture that you have loosened up because you're staying at home and that if you actually ended up running to the grocery store, you'd still probably use a lot of Purell. And so in the first couple days that we mutually, the three of us, had a heightened sense for this, we were still going into work. We were still interacting in public. And so I think we were hyper vigilant to try to be as careful as possible. We were social distancing at that point, but we weren't on full shelter at place mode. So we had closed the shops. We knew that people shouldn't be interacting too much. But this time we were still trying to balance this. Okay, have some sense of normalcy, still go about your normal daily tasks, but then be really, really hyper vigilant. And so now I think it's probably okay that people have laxed a little bit as long as they ramp it back up if they get out into the public. Uh, yeah, I like that. I agree with that. That all makes sense to me. Do we now feel comfortable using the abbreviation of LSSHS for this topic. And that's technically not an acronym, which Tyler taught me because it doesn't spell another word that we can say. So it's just an abbreviation. But yeah, LSSHS should be the topic for this podcast on Spotify. I had to just flip back to my sheet to see what that even stood for. But for those wondering, late stage shelter at home socializing. Anyway, Hopefully, some of the things we talked through resonate with some of you. Hopefully, they 
you know, kickstart some conversations or ideas about ways that we can continue to be very social while being really mindful of spreading coronavirus. Do you guys have any other closing thoughts you want to add? I definitely still want to encourage people stay home, stay safe. You know, we're, we're not even through our initial shelter in place order. And so minimize those less necessary trips as much as possible. Keep going through that bottle of Perel a day as much as, as much as possible and uh, keep, keep up the good work. It seems like things aren't as bad in Kansas City as, as they could have been, which is a good thing. And so we want to keep it, keep it going in the right direction. Yeah, we just added today on the Made in Casey Instagram stories some screenshots from the New York Times tracking Kansas City cases and the growth over time. We're doing really, really well right now. And so I think that, as Thomas said earlier in one of our podcasts, that means that we have to put our foot on the pedal and, and push even harder and continue doing the things that are proving successful. So this isn't a time to let up. we got to keep it going. I absolutely think that for metropolitan areas of our size, we can be one of the first cities to safely reopen in some way if we keep it up. So I think everyone's been doing a great job and hopefully we'll continue. Let us know your thoughts on LSSHS uh, if you have any. Thanks. And and cross your fingers for Keith's vaccine. <laughs> yeah. All right. As always, you can reach out to us at hello at madeinkc.co and you can find us on Twitter at madeinkc underscore. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a good day.